Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. Yes, this is Zero G on Triple R. Thank you to Daniel and Room with a View. And to kick off, I'm just going to play a little bit of a track to start us off. This is one that I really liked when I watched the show and it just popped up and I thought, I'm going to give this a go. So we're going to listen to uh, Annie from the Maniac uh, score. Uh, which was done by Dan Romer, the Netflix series with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G. Science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1265, entitled Midsommar Mordar. <laughs> I'm trying to do my Swedish accent there, but, you know, everything I know I learned about Swedish I learned from uh, Sesame Street and possibly from Star Trek where they had the, uh, the Borg. Podcast title... Summer is a podden in. Obviously, that would be beyond Borg. Now, one, two, six, five. That's a significant number in Star Trek terms. It's uh, NCC, their serial number, one, two, six, five. The USS Ride. According to Star Trek Memory Alpha Wiki, it's a Shepard-class starship operated by Starfleet, named after 20th century astronaut and physicist Sally Ride. Dr Ride joined NASA in 1978 and was the first American woman to travel in space. And she was only the third woman overall, after two Soviet cosmonauts, to do so. Ride flew aboard the space shuttle Challenger twice and passed away from cancer in 2012. The USS Ride fought in the Battle of the Binary Stars in 2256 against the Klingons, as shown in Star Trek Discovery. I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And given the number of folk horror movies (laughs) I have watched, I can only conclude in Melbourne today that not enough sacrifices, chanting and nude interpretive dancing has been carried out to properly prepare the way for summer. I know. I had some hail at my place this morning. I was like, all right, that's what we're going with for this season. Fair enough. Hail and hello. So, yeah, we are going to look at midsummer. Oh, I'm very keen. I've not watched it, but I have Don't. read. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on it. It's a great film, but I don't think it's for you, Megan. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Did, did you see Hereditary? Actually, no. I haven't seen Hereditary okay. yet. Okay. Yeah. I have heard good things, and it's not for not because I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm, yes, I'll be keen to hear if you recommend it for me or not. <laughs> well, uh, on a, a lighter subject, oh, yes. The Toys That Made Us, the third season of this light-hearted and probably over-enthusiastic documentary about iconic toys has unboxed itself on Netflix. Uh, Out of the bubble pack this week, uh, uh, they've got toys including the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, My Little Pony, 
wrestling toys as well. And the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, my favourite out of that bunch. Nice. Although I did make a, um, a My Little Pony Tony Stark conversion figure huh. once. <laughs> so uh, in these episodes, yeah. which is, is a sort of a documentary style. Yeah, that, nice. They've got a lot of great... Uh, Series like that at the mm, moment. That mm. I think they've got the films, that, the movies that made us as well. Yeah, nice. Mm. Uh, you know, I learnt about hair play, <laughs> which is an important aspect of My Little Pony play. Right. You know, you've got to brush out the tails <laughs> yes, and their manes. Yes. Uh, and I also found out that you never refer to or treat ponies as horses. No. And very different. And they're not supposed to have saddles either. No. <laughs> so, all these things. <laughs> Educational program. Yeah. And that the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers uses stock footage from the Japanese superhero giant robot yeah. series, Super Sentai. Because why would you reshoot stuff when you can't tell? Yeah, they, they just repurposed it with American actors. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so I thought that's really cool. Um, and cynically exploitative as well. Of course. And that is actually a fairly controversial um, show back in the day uh, regarding how they looked after or failed to look after their workers, their mm. actors. Mm. Anyway, um, I already knew that there was a fifth Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle named Venus de Milo, <laughs> just for the television shows. In fact, I actually have that toy. Really? Yeah, and it's just it's just a girl Ninja Turtle, <laughs> which is fine. You know, I, I just don't know if it was... Um, the moment, because it's not a very popular mm. character. Yeah. Anyway, this is the toys that made us, so you'll be able to check that out. Where's that? Netflix. Netflix. Nice. Yeah. Have you caught up with anything new? Um, I've actually started, not really new, but um, I really loved this series, Vox Explained. Have you seen? No. Similar no. vein to this in a way. Uh-huh. Um, and they do little mini, I've always liked the Vox stuff. They put a lot out on YouTube and they have really good articles on different, lots of different topics. Um, season one, they cover just sort of mini docos on lots of different random topics. Uh-huh. There's one on cryptocurrency. There's one on K-pop. There's one on tattoos. And season two is currently still coming out. And I hadn't watched any of it. I didn't realize it was there. So I've been trying to catch up with that. Uh-huh. I watched Diamonds. And also beauty. So there's all kinds of different little tidbits. Um, it's called Vox Explained, and it is a Netflix series, but it stems out of Vox, which is sort of a well-known, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, new site, culture, website? Yeah. 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 I would let also let you know that uh, season two, I think, of um, Wellington Paranormal mm. is kicking around on um, nice. SBS, I think. I don't think it's on the Demand channel yet. Have you ever actually... Um, uh, had trouble. I haven't seen um, Disney Plus drop an app on um, smart TVs yet. It has. Oh. I, I've seen it on um, on Mac platforms and Android phones and yeah, stuff. Yeah, they may not have. Yeah, just speaking of streaming, I <laughs> use Chromecast, so yeah. I don't know. It's so fiddly. It used to be. No, I'm not going to go there. But it was very <laughs> limited, though. But with options comes great responsibility. Yes, but My, the first television I had was. Black and white, mm-hmm. and it only had four channels. That was it. Well, mine, when I was growing up, Alice had one of those click dials where you go, and it, it's like quite firm and it goes click, click, click around, and then you have to kind of adjust the. Yeah, yeah. yeah ours was one that shows went. shows how old I am. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Yeah. <laughs> ah, anyway. So, we digress. Um, we digress there. <laughs> Back into the past. The Mandalorian. Yes, of course. That is also what I've been watching. Mm-hmm. I've actually watched. 
all the first three twice now. Oh, yeah. And then I watched the fourth one yesterday. You watched them twice? Yes. Well, I watched them with my partner as well. Oh, I that's cool. like, yes, let's watch these. Yeah. So I had to watch them again. Not uh, had to. I enjoyed it. You them. had to, yeah. <laughs> Written by John Favreau, the chapter four. We've, we've talked about the first three chapters. Uh, last week we were a little coy about them um, uh, heavily referencing and homaging uh, mm. the Japanese um, samurai series uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, or Baby Cart Wars, as I also <laughs> And we went very no spoilers last week because we wanted to give some time to catch up. But I think... The whole world knows about... Time has come. Baby Yoda. Exactly. He's a meme. His gifts are back. He's going to be president in 2020. <laughs> it couldn't be worse than the, the toddler in June. Wow, well, exactly. Yeah, and this is obviously the, the unbelievably cutest thing ever. Yeah. It really is. It really is. But, but it's not obviously it, uh, um, Baby Yoda. It's not, no, no. no. But it it's is a bit of a misnomer. One of, or a misnome. Mm. <laughs> one of one of um, Yoda's species. Yes, unmistakable. And there's some sort of speculation that it might be um, Yoda's child with another member of the Jedi Council who's also a Yoda-type mm-hmm. creature. So, yeah. Who knows? We get matter. to find out. So cute. So cute. <laughs> and also a very powerful force adept. Yes, mm. indeed. Mm. Which is... Probably why um, uh, Werner Herzog is after him. <laughs> that just cracks me up that they've got Werner playing the client. I know. He's so wonderful, though. So he's put out a bounty on um, on Baby Yoda, and, uh, and, and the child has been uh, spirited away by our titular character, the Mandalorian. Who I think just gets better with every episode. There's a there's a, a moment in um, chapter four where he's leaning up against a hut, mm-hmm. not a, not a Jabba the hut, just a, regular a, a, hut. a village hut, and and he looks just so cool. He's yeah. like he's got he's got his legs crossed and he's leaning against the door frame in his armor. And... He's definitely got something. <laughs> I think that actor does a really good job of acting through Pedro Pascal yes. acting through that helmet. Now this episode is called Sanctuary. And it's directed by Bryce Dallard Howard, mm-hmm. uh, who is the eldest daughter of uh, Ron Howard. Yes. And I've seen her a lot as an actress, actually, in um, As You Like It and The Village with M. Yes. Night Lots Shyamalan. Of his work, she has appeared. Oh, yes, Lady in the Lake as well. And she was in uh, an episode of Black Mirror. Black Mirror. But she's also Gwen Stacy. Yes. In Sam Rainey's uh, Spider-Man 3. Oft mistaken for Jessica Chastain, they have an ongoing... Oh, yeah, I Jokes about see. how they get mistaken for each that, other yeah. by fans. and She's yeah. been in the Terminator Salvation movie, won't hold that against her, and fantasy film Twilight Saga. Yes. I think well, she was a werewolf. She replaced someone, I'm pretty sure. There was another. I th- oh, she was replaced. I can't quite remember. Don't really keep all that Twilight knowledge in my brain. No, it's all sparkled away. <laughs> exactly. there. Was she, a, was she a, a swearwolf? or? A... No, I'm pretty sure she was a vampire. <laughs> but... Okay. All right. So, uh, yeah, she does a, a great job... Um, Directing this episode, I thought. And it takes a bit of a turn. It It's sort of, it's a different type of episode, but it's in a formula that we're very familiar with. Well, we've done um, Lone Wolf and Cub and Samurai Jack slash Clone Wars via Jendi Tartakovsky and Spaghetti Westerns in the homages that they've mm. done here. And this week it's Seven Samurai. And it's it's very much one of those, there are a lot of shows where you do this kind of, you arrive somewhere and then there's, 
some issue that you help with mm-hmm. and you learn a bit about those people and then, you know, our characters grow and discover something about themselves, whatever, and then, you know, that's sort of the little bottle story. I might um, get a bit spoilery here. You know, I reckon that um, I can. I might just yeah, do that a little bit. I think so. I think um, that's okay. Yeah, you know, I, just... I like. You know, this is a common the Firefly sort of setup where they sort of do lots of different missions and sort of come across a lot of different situations. Yeah. So, so basically, our Mandalorian and, and Baby um, end up uh, in a village on a, on a backwater world, mm-hmm. and they're trying to hide out basically from. It's meant to be hunters. a quiet place. Yeah. We know that's not going to happen yeah. because there wouldn't be a show. Yeah. I really love the um, opening shot of this one, where where the uh, the director subverts the that Star Wars trope that every world has to have a an environmental theme, mm. you know, like a monoculture sort of thing. Yes, yes. Uh, it has to be an ice planet. It's, or I was going to say world. it's or a desert planet or yeah. it's, you know lush yeah. farming. Yeah, it's like nobody has a mixture. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, and they they mess with the idea of it being a water world in quite a clever way. I yeah. thought in that opening shot. Um, there's a small village there, and you know that they're going to be raided by orcs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is actually what it looks like. Really does. All yeah. those, it looks a bit like Reavers in from Firefly. As yeah, well. they've yeah. got that kind of anyway. Yeah. Yes. But these these guys are no ordinary raiders. They actually have some heavy support, mm-hmm. um, and it's the only time in the Star Wars universe that I've ever saw this particular type of heavy support. Being actually scary. Mm. I mean, my God, it was scary. It was like um, it was like what War of the Worlds should look like occasionally. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was handled quite well. Yeah, very nice shot. Um, they've got some interesting people who appear in this. Um, Gina Carano playing uh, a former rebel shock trooper. Yes. Uh, what's it? Cara Dune or something like that. That's the name in this. She's a mixed mas- martial um, artist from American Gladiators and has played a lot of that sort of type of character in um, in films, you know, mm. action films, Fast and Furious. Where she's there for her sort of physical skills and the acting part is like she's come into that. Mm. And Dead- Deadpool? She yes, was, uh, that's, yeah, I recognise her. From- and she had a cameo in um, Kill Bill Volume 1. She was one of the witnesses at the wedding. <laughs> oh. so, and she was a an XRN combat android in um, Almost Human. Hmm. So I actually think she um, uh, she she just plays the physical part of this yeah. w- without really even having to. She looks like she's a warrior or a mm, fighter. Mm. You know, there's no doubt about that. The way she moves, yeah, it's really cool. Absolutely. Actually. Um, but she's also got a lot of acting chops in this. I thought. Yeah. She plays a, 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 a little bit um, sort of battle weary, but it's a know. good role type for her. Yeah. I think. I think that's been cast very well. Yeah. So she, I think she's done it extraordinarily well. Actually, she stood out in the cast, and you got to see her face too. Yeah. <laughs> which is uh, interesting for characters in this. Oh, movie. I want him to take his helmet off anyway. We did. You just I, never see it. I don't think we ever will. I don't know. I wonder. He's like, I wonder. He's like Judge Dredd. Yeah. Takes the helmet off, but you'll just see the chin. I just love that actor so much. I just, you know. And um, the widow Amara, played by Julia Jones, who we've seen before, again, in uh, Twilight mm-hmm. and in the Westworld series as well. And she was actually cast in a, um, a genre western, Jonah Hex, oh. too. So is that thing with here she is. Fox? Yeah, yeah. Here she is in... Uh, Another genre, space western. Mm. What what should they um, reference homage next in the you know Seven Samurai, mm. Lone Wolf and Cub? I reckon. Um, I was thinking maybe Zatoichi, 
with the uh, the blind swordsman. Oh yeah. Except they've already done that in Rogue One. The yeah, true. Donna Yen was that. Um... Well, the thing, I mean, the world is their oyster, really. I'm curious as to how many episodes are there? Eight. Eight, I think. I'm curious as to the arc that the series is going to take, especially because we're seeing it an episode at a time, hmm. not binge watching it all at once. I so... want to see them do El Topo, or uh, Django, or Trinity, Terence mm. Hill and Bud Spencer type thing. Maybe a High Noon would work. Um, I certainly think The Searchers would be appropriate. Mm. Um, but there's a John Wayne movie called The War Wagon with a, uh, an armoured vehicle that uh, is pulled by horses with, with, armed with Gatling guns. I think something like that would work well in a Star Wars yeah, universe. Yeah. So like a, a, um, a moving uh, vehicle, um, a caper sort of one. But they, they did that on Firefly too. So Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I guess there's a lot they could do. Oh, and Solo. Didn't they do that in Solo? I've blocked that movie. One of those movies they did that in. I can't remember. Uh, Anyway, um, (laughs) that's that's what we've been talking about today. Um, The Mandalorian on... Disney Plus. Disney Plus. I think it's been pretty well received. I certainly really enjoy it and look forward to the episodes. I think it can be enjoyed by... I think it's also, if you're not as familiar with the Star Wars universe, you'll get a lot out of this anyway. Mm. I think it stands on its own... Well, yes and no. Look, there's two ways to look at the uh, the homage sort of uh, thing at this stage, and it's only like four episodes in. Well, it's so. very, yeah. Well, we're halfway through, though. <laughs> yeah, so. that's true. Uh, I reckon this will get renewed just like just like that. Oh, and yeah. by the way, um, speaking of um, – oh, sorry, I'll, I'll go back to my thought there, which was um, – look, you're either going to, you're going to recognise the films that this is this is um, running through its, its mm, veins mm, – mm. um, or you're not. If you don't, then you're going to read reviews which say, oh, yes, they've done that, da, da, da. Mm. And that may lead you to yeah. those films. Yeah. I That's the why I like to think of this as above the line. I'm yeah. not going to sit here and say, that's oh, a rip-off. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like that. And it's done well. What do you mean by a rip-off? Well, you know, that Seven Samurai thing, the, 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 the um, mercenaries in the village teaching their villagers how to fight. Oh, I think you know. at this point, though, those kinds of things are so in the cultural mindset yeah. already. Like, I'm not saying, like, though, that is sort of the seed and definitely the template for where it all came from. But I think there's been so much over time that's come through and, you know, use that kind of... Well, as, Material, as we said last week, especially if you remember the relationship between Japanese filmmaking, especially Kurosawa and westerns, well, you know, there's this, yeah, this it's sort already of very dynamic link. Yeah, I mean, and it's not in a way like even something like the way Kill Bill is, you no. know, emulating things. I think this is a very different thing. I think it's something that's kind of been. Mm. It's kind of been marinating, soaking in these things, and then comes out its own dish. I don't know. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. And I'm having fun anyway, so I don't care. Yeah, I think... Leave it to the lawyers. Know, it's doing what it's doing. <laughs> um, I mean, I think what's interesting is that Mandalorian has a definite specific type of tone, yeah. which is probably the most similar to Rogue One's tone in terms of it's a bit more straight down line. Like, if you look at Solo, that's like all explosions and, you mm. know, it's a bit naff. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think maybe they've kind of finally found the right um, tone area for a Star Wars kind of Yeah, for a spin-off, property. certainly. Yeah. And, and to tell you the truth, I'm watching this, and I was the opening shot in this one, and I'm just thinking, this is so effortlessly more interesting than the mainstream Star Wars universe. Yeah, I think, but I think that's because it has the luxury of looking at things without the pressure of yeah. being in the... You know what I mean? And I think that's what Rogue One had for it as well, is that it could do what it wanted, take what it wanted from the main universe 
as long as it ended up at the start of Star Wars. Exactly. Whereas (laughs) I think the main universe is like weighed down by the burden of being what it is, you know? Yeah. It's heavy, isn't it? Yeah. The cavern carrying the the luggage around and it just doesn't always suit the stories that they come up for. Yeah. And then, you know, there's fandoms and I'm, I'm not saying they try to do fan service, but like. You know, mm. there's certain elements to be considered. So, oh, yes, these are these are full of Easter eggs. You know, mostly costumes and aliens and uh, bits of music and stuff. Mm. And, you know, lots of different things. I like when it starts with that little nature shot. I've noticed mm. they've done that the past few episodes of some kind of local creature. It's mm. pretty cool. To return to the other point that I wanted to make, John, John Favreau's um, um, chef show. Oh yes, that, that's in a new season that's, yes. that's dropped on on the old flicks. I've got. I really love that show. I've got that as something that's on my to watch as a treat list. And in um, one of the episodes in this season, he goes to Skywalker Ranch. He does. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and he's basically there's not too much Star Wars in there, although they get one of the directors of one of the franchises in. It's it's very clever the way the show is stands on its own, and it's a great show. Yeah. But it definitely shows off some of his other projects. It's a very smart piece of marketing. It is, isn't it? Like absolutely effortless in the way it it's doing it. Yeah, I just uh, found it quite a fascinating show. You yeah. like I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't try to cook anything. I mean, they're not really, it's not really a cooking show. A lot of what they it's like now we're going to roast this in our special bespoke barbecue yeah. for 48 hours. This is like saying, well, what 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 sort of Star Wars um, food do we have? Well, there's blue milk. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the famous blue milk. Yeah, how to how to uh, fricassee a womp rat? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be like um, there'd be there would be oh, isn't that we saw that in the Mandalorian? They were frying one of those. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Creatures like a, from uh, on Phantom a rotisserie, rotisserie thing. Do you remember? You remember the. Um, Oh God, that's going back far. The, the the slave master of Anakin Skywalker in Phantom Menace um, had was this guy, this sort of spindly guy. Mm. That's one of the things that's being roasted ah. on a spit at the start of the Mandalorian. I thought that was disturbing. Like the idea of roasting something in front of its, its mother. Oh, oh no. anyway. Gee, we're really gearing up for midsummer here. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I I absolutely cannot wait to hear you talk about it. And I think. I don't know. Well, if, yeah, we'll talk about to it. Lead us, to lead us into that, we're going to play a track, um, which will be our Bowie track today, and it's called I Feel Love. And it's a distro, quite a famous disco track because it's by Donna Summer. Now, why is this relevant to, um, to David Bowie? Well, <laughs> I will tell you. Um, back in the day, um, Mr. Bowie was uh, doing a session when... Um, uh, somebody came into the studio and said, listen to this. You've got to listen to this. This is the music of the future. So clearly this is, uh, this is pre, <laughs> pre, uh, pre uh, Ziggy Stardust and stuff. But anyway, um, so this is uh, Donna Summer who, was, uh, who, who died of cancer at age of 63, well before then. Her music was influencing a lot of other uh, performers, including David Bowie. So... You know, she was, um, I'm just playing this because we've got the summer influence here. (laughs) Triple R. This is China Mieville, author of Perdido Street Station and The Scar, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Yeah. 
Donna Summer there with I Feel Love, just <laughs> for our Bowie track for today. Highly influential upon Mr. Bowie and other... A lot of artists. Yeah, from then. Um, actually, I kind of like the, um, the pacing of that track, actually. Oh, yeah. Me too. So, off we go to Midsommar. Yes. I'm so intrigued to hear your thoughts on this. Directed by Ari Aster. Hereditary. Mm. I've listened to a lot of podcasts about those movies. I probably should just watch them. <laughs> now, the budget for this movie was only about 8 to $10 million. It's such a small amount. Such a small amount. And it's he's done a lot with it. I suppose that it to- takes place in one area from what I understand. Yes. Mostly. Yes. But they actually built the uh, the village that's in that area. Yeah, nice. Now, it's um, a folk horror movie mm-hmm. um, with... Although it's kind of masquerading for a uh, uh, a breakup, a relationship breakup movie too. Okay. So there's all these little two little uh, collisions there, which apparently the director was going through at some stage. So maybe there's a little bit too much autobiography. He's worked through his pain to. Yeah, uh... yeah it does really worry me. <laughs> okay, so we've seen Hereditary back in 2018, and that actually is kind of a folk horror movie as well, in its own twisted way mm. uh this one um basically you've got a some friends not quite like the cast of the sitcom but, but almost <laughs> uh, and they do actually have at least one member amongst them who is a sitcom regular uh they're off to sweden uh, there's this festival that um uh, occurs in the home village of one of the group mm-hmm. uh, and he's taking them all back to this 90 year festival once every 90 years and uh, guess what? It's <laughs> isolated. It's not everything it's cracked up to be. <laughs> uh, but one of the the actor who's playing the guy who takes the um, takes them to Sweden, mm. he said, "If you is it a funny thing in the uh, the making of documentary? Because I've seen this on the on the Blu-ray, D, uh, the Blu-ray. Uh, There's a making of documentary. Oh. With a little making of documentary and twenty or twenty five extra uh, minutes because this is a nice. director's cut." Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Doesn't feel doesn't feel um, over long. It looks long though. It's already two and a half hours. Mm, Interesting. Mm. Okay, and it's more of a it's a, a slow burn, ugh, um, creepy, mm. uh, unsettling movie, and set for the most part in broad daylight. I like that though. Mm. I like that idea, and the contrast between the mundanity. I was going to say mundane, but it's actually uh, Sweden. <laughs> uh, the the contrast between the everyday life of a farming community, mm. you know, like there are chickens pecking around amidst some of the scenes of horror oh. in this, uh, and you know, like they've got they've got a particularly <laughs> hilarious way of choosing. Uh, sacrifices at one stage that just cracked me up. And I know it wasn't supposed to, mm. but when I saw what they were doing, I just went, oh, my God. <laughs> and those sorts of things serve to make it even more horrific, you know. Yeah, right. I like the contrast kind yeah, of yeah. juxtaposition. So, you know, he, he, the director had been approached by a company called Be Real Films, uh, which is a Swedish company, and um, they wanted him to, uh, to do a slasher film set in Sweden. And he said, I, I couldn't really get into that. But since he was thinking about, uh, had a breakup on his mind, mm. um, he sort of thought, oh, yeah, let's do this. Now, folk horror movies, um, it's quite a genre. 
And oddly enough, one of the first ones is um, Hexan, which was completed in 1920, released in 1922. It was a Swedish-Danish documentary silent horror movie about witches, which is what, um, mm-hmm. which is what Hexan means in, in, uh, in Swedish. So that was a, quite a, a comprehensive look at um, cultish sort of behaviour and witches in general and stuff. Uh, but witches are good and, and, and nice, and I'll be over here, says Xander <laughs> in Buffy. Um, which is on stand now, witches, FYI. Witches, if if yes. anyone has not seen, Buffy is now on stand, so yeah, yeah, go and streaming. get it. The Witchfinder General in 1968 um, with um, oh, Vincent Price, long trip back there, The Blood on Satan's Claw in 71. Of course, The Blood on Satan's Claw. <laughs> the Wicker Man is probably the... Yes. Closest parallel parallel I can think of. I see. Yep. With Edward Woodward, and it's um, not quite as much um, the long, long-awaited sequel to that, um, The Wicker Tree, mm-hmm. which is kind of well, we won't go there anyway. Um, the Ritual, um, a more recent one, Kill List, another oh, yes. another one that came out recently. Um, going back to one of your ones, uh, Children of the Corn. Ah, yes. And of course, um, Shyamalan's The Village. Ah, mm. the village. I do think the village got a bit of a bad rap. I think it's an interesting story. Look, you could see, kind of see the uh, the thing coming, the twist in it, but um, it still, I reckon, would have made a, a damn good Outer Limits or Twilight Zone episode, yeah. that one. Uh, there's an episode, a serial of Doctor Who called The Damons. Mm. It was set in a small town where the horrors of Morris dancing are visited upon the uh, the Doctor. And, of course, Hereditary as well. That's um, yeah. one of these ones. They've all got these common tropes. Um, they're often but not always set in a rural, isolated mm-hmm, area. Mm-hmm. Uh, often that area is in England. <laughs> uh, landscape is a character. Yep. Um, there are outsiders who come into the area just so you can have somebody who's actually horrified by it. Because yes, of, casting new eyes on something yeah. that, yeah, 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 the outsider. Usually it's got something to do with a pagan religion, mm-hmm. um, but not always. Some of the some of them have been um, about Christianity, mm. or, um, and often they're using it uh, to uh, to give you a bit of a, a metaphor for some kind of um, political thing mm. as well. And there's a little bit of that in this, um, a little bit of um, me to uh, revenge kind of uh, feeling <laughs> in this one. So okay, I'm going to give you a bit of a track here to just set the mood, and I think we'll play a track from. The actual soundtrack. So that would be uh, Helsingland, which is by Bobby, Bobby Krilyk. And this is from uh, the Midsummer original score. This is Raymond D. Feiss, scribe of Midkemia, and you're listening to Zero G, science fiction, fantasy, and historical radio. Ah. Ooh, <laughs> that was very um, moody. Yeah, Bobby Krilyk, who's... Um, uh, band name is um, the Haxon Cloak. We were talking about Haxon before. Yeah, uh, he's a British uh, musician, uh, and that's of course derives from a Swedish Haxon meaning the witch. Mm. Uh, and he's actually done uh, music for the Stranger Things as well, which has its own sort of elements of folk. Um, yeah, uh, horror too. We're talking about the movie Midsummer. It's S O double M A R. Yes, and um, like the festival. Yes. The, the non-cult like Swedish festival celebration, and, and very much like Midsummer County, just as many deaths <laughs> involved there. And they have lots of uh, folk horror in their thing too. Um, okay, so this is Ariaster's uh, 
second horror, well, second big horror movie. Yes. There's another one before this, but. And it's on DVD and you can also get it on iTunes or. Blu-ray, I should say. Yes, Blu-ray. You can also get it on iTunes or the Microsoft Store. Mm, And it's a director's cut on the Blu-ray. And it's got a a whole lot of very accomplished people working on it. They filmed it in Hungary near Budapest. Um, I love Budapest. Have you been there? Yeah, I went there oh, a few yes, years you ago. Did. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I really liked it. Anyway. So, so you'll be really good when Black Widow comes out. You'll be, oh, <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, oh, I've been there. Yeah. Funny, I remember it very differently. <laughs> <laughs> did you stay in a grand hotel there? Oh, I wish. You wish. But but you could have at least walked around making sure everything was symmetrical. Yes, I like got the perfect <laughs> Wes Anderson-like shots. The cinematography was done by uh, Paul Pogorzelski, who's actually British. Mm-hmm. Um, um and did uh, Hereditary, so he's been sort of pulled along with various... A collaborator, uh, yep. Yeah. And um, costume design by Andrea Flesch. Uh, <laughs> that's the wrong <laughs> name for this movie. Or the right name. Yeah. Henrik Svensson did the production design. And I mention all these people because all of this is a very, very important part of this movie. The look of this is, is absolutely critical from mm-hmm. the the crisp white robes that the cultists yes. in the village wear through to the design of the village itself, the, uh, the imposing wooden architecture, which... Just reminds me so much of Children of the Corn or something like that. Yeah. Do you remember that barn in Twister? That, oh, yeah. That they go, they take shelter in. Yes. And they, they close the door. They think they're all right. Then they look behind them and the walls are hung with every blade in existence. Oh. <laughs> you know, with, with the exception of Wesley Snipes. I do remember that. Yeah. That's and, such a good movie, though. And Bill Paxton looks at, um, at Helen, Hunt. Helen Hunt and says, I don't think so. And they run out. <laughs> Who, who are these people? That's so good. Well, these people are the ones that were living in this little Swedish village. Um, and it's it, there's a lot of things in this that I found really unsettling. Mm. The first thing, which is hilarious, is that it's a whole community doing things all together. <laughs> Rare. <laughs> Rare. <laughs> the As I said, the production design from, um, from the very strange paintings on cloth that are hanging around Ooh. to the runes yes. on the rocks. I see. Um, the unusual architecture in some cases. A lot of... Um, uh, emphasis on the ritual, on patterns and triangles and so on, and the way that people just sit around cross-legged and silent. Oh. And nobody – and, you know, this is like a folk festival and people are doing this and nobody blows their lines. Yeah. If you've ever been to a festival thing, people crack up and that occasionally. But they do make little bad little jokes occasionally about it, and I think that was kind of – even the, more unsettling. All the stills look so pretty. I mean, obviously there's somewhere something horrible's clearly happened, but um, it's all flowers and bright and nice white colours. And yeah, <laughs> you know, and there are things in this book, in this film, that um, that make you think, oh, we're going to have a nice dance off around the maypole. Yes, you know, not quite right. <laughs> not quite right. The village is called Horga, and um, some things happen in this place that are just. Off, mm. very very off. But if you look at it from the point of view of the um, the villager who's gone off to the to America and come back bringing some Americans yes. with him, some fresh meat. It's kind of, it's kind of he's kind of like the the hero of this story from the villager's point of view, Mm-mm. and it's it's very twisted. You don't really want to get into that too much. Um, Florence um, Pugh plays. Um, Danny, an American, which of course is amusing because she is actually British. Uh-huh. Uh, I last saw her as uh, in Lady Macbeth in um, 
is playing uh, well in the Lady Macbeth film. Yes. Uh, and she was also in the Netflix uh, film Outlaw King with Chris Pine. Oh. Was playing Robert the Bruce. Uh, she's also going to be in uh, Little Women. Yes, she's going to be in Greta Gerwig's Little Women, yeah. which I'm very excited about. And speaking of Budapest, she's going to star alongside um, Scarlett Johansson in uh, Black Widow. Nice. She's going oh, to yes, actually, I see that here. She's going to play another Black Widow. Um, so, you know, she does a great job in this. A lot of the focus of the film's point of view is on her. Mm. Uh, she carries it all the way through uh, and... Uh, just does everything that she has to do to be uh, the perfect character in this, to ha- have um, circulating through it. She's got a tragedy. The, 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 the character has got a tragedy as a backstory. I have heard about that on a podcast. Yeah, and it's quite affecting. And, and they, the director really lays that out as he goes along. And there's this mm. really good scene where she's crying in a bathroom in an apartment and then they rotate the scene to crying in a bathroom on an aeroplane. Mm. You know, and I thought that was a class way to do it. Yeah. Just to, you know, get you out of that particular area, but carry the emotion with you. And it's a very emotional film. Um, the villagers uh, have their own special language and their runes and their gestures and stuff, but they're extremely emotional people mm. and very empathic with the other people in the village. Perhaps not just enough for people who don't weren't born there, but <laughs> never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, so she's great. She, you know, she deserves all the the, the kudos going for this yep. film. Great. She deserves to have wear wear a floral crown and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> Jack Raynor, who's Irish, um, is playing an American, mm-hmm. um, and they, look, it's not too well hidden. But his character's Christian name actually is Christian. So we have Christians and pagans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, I see. Yes. Oh, I just looked. I'm looking him up sort of as we talk. And there's, I mean, it's given me a note here of it says he, how he felt about going full frontal in midsummer. Yes, there is some of that in that. It's an equal opportunity film. <laughs> um, he was also in uh, another film, another Macbeth film mm-hmm. with Michael Fassbinder. And, uh, oh, was Marianne he in that Cotillard. one? Yeah, yeah. He was the uh, Kurtzall one. Yeah. He looks I a bit Kurtzall. like Chris Pratt. He's got the look of, mm. you know, generic male so, actor. <laughs> so it's funny it's funny seeing them break out on the uh, the making of and hearing their British accents, you know. It's like, that's not what you led me to believe what I was watching. It's like when film. I heard Christian Bale's real accent for the first time, I was like, what? Now, the person, he's great. He's actually great too. Christian um, is just that right mix of gormlessness, mm. but also a bit ruthless, you know, so, because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. the boyfriend of mm. the, the Danny character. Yeah. Um, and... And I thought he um, he suffers a lot in this film. <laughs> uh, um, I can only imagine. William Jackson Harper, and this is a sitcom con- connection, plays um, yes. a, a, a guy who's writing a thesis about um, ruins. He's one of the Americans. And he's um, cheaty mm. on The Good Place. How does he go? Because, I mean, this is probably a very different role to Cheaty. It is very different. And tone and everything. So how did you go seeing him in a more dramatic turn? Well, it's kind of like half Cheaty. <laughs> Never go full Cheaty. He's um, he's uh, academic. Mm. So, you know, there is that. So he's got that focus there, just as Cheaty had as well. Yeah. So it's not entirely that different. Just okay. that he, and, well, considering that he's in hell in um, <laughs> in The Good Place... Oh, God, I've just spoiled it, haven't I? I think we're up to season four. I think you're okay. (laughs) Okay, so we have uh, Will Poulter in there who was um, Eustace in the Chronicles of Narnia Mm -hmm. uh, and also in the Maze Runner series. He was in Bandersnatch. Bandersnatch, that's right, Black Mirror. 
Uh, and he's actually got the uh, the thankless task of kind of being the uh, the annoying comic relief. Oh. Um, and I bet he gets his comeuppance. He shall wear a jester's cap for good reason. Uh, and of course, the guy who's playing the uh, the villager who goes and uh, drags these oh, poor yes, people back, who's that? Uh, Wilhelm Blomgren, who plays a character called Pelle. I like we've got a good mix of sort of um, unknowns and people who have done done things, but you know, mm. not not household names. Yeah. So you know, this is your idyllic village, and it's going to be one of those ones where you walk off the. Uh, Go off, drive off the pavement, and um, terrible things happen. But because it's all done in bright sunlight, mm. I, I actually pay that. They've they've done some stuff there, and I really wish their prosthetic um, artists weren't as good as they are. I'm so <laughs> in, curious as to what film. they need prosthetics for. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, got a bit of psychology through it because uh, Danny is um, a psychologist or a student or something like that. I sure. missed all that. <laughs> Um, you know, there's things that you... Threads, threads you know. Are, are yeah, sure. There. Uh, and something, well, there, was, there was one moment of real horror that I didn't realise was a, as horrific as it actually was until I thought about it later on and I thought, oh, 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 oh okay. We'll talk about that off air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So it's um, it's called Midsummer. It's by Ariasta. It is a... I think it's a fine horror movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably a go if you're not, you know, if you um, have, uh, have a delicate stomach. Mm, you it's may, a no. Yeah, you may not want to see this one. Is it more gory than Hereditary or different? More. Mm, okay. Um, I would say. On the scale, on the Rob Jan scale of <laughs> graphic gore, more. Okay. Yeah, all um, right. Yeah, he, he's uh, sort of pulled out all the stops on this. You can see that the... The slasher origin of the story is, mm. is quite. He there. hasn't given up that bloodiness just because he's gone sort of a different no, route no. with it. This will this will become a classic folk horror movie. Obviously, okay. I, I'm pretty sure. Add it to the the list with Wicker Man and so on. Yeah, what's the Swedish for? Yes, is it like, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. It could be. It probably could be something similar. I didn't look it up. Um, I could speak it in chef in Swedish chef, but that would not be appropriate for this. Um, it's probably there's probably an IKEA um, bit of furniture named after it or something like that. Oh my god, I, I hope there isn't. <laughs> now, now I've got this horrible idea of of some kind of IKEA cult where they they take you into their lair and you can't get out, and they disassemble you and put you into a flat hat box. Yeah, yeah. And the only thing standing between you and, and uh, discombobulation is an Allen key. <laughs> Actually, they do lead you into a lair and never and never let you get out without buying something. Well, somewhat, yeah. <laughs> and they lead you through the very strict yeah. path. Swedish for yes is ja, ja, yeah, but I would say it's not pronounced like German. It says J-A here, so. It probably is. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> But then again, maybe it's not. I don't know. Anyway, Midsummer definitely a, um, a, a high point, <laughs> if you can mm. call it that, on the uh, horror calendar for this year. And now, now on, um, right. getting so many interesting horrors out now. Yeah, there's a bit of a renaissance, um, and I like that. I mean, as much as I love my standards, um, you know, your king content and your slashes, mm-hmm. I do enjoy. You know, like a a weird cult, a cult ritual one. I think it's kind of refreshing. I don't know. It's nice. Mm. Nice is probably not a word I would use about this movie. <laughs> Different. <laughs> Have another track from Bobby Krillick's uh, Midsummer Score, Chorus of Sirens. 
This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero. G comes last. Z waits alone and it's not for a thing. Yeah. Moody. Hexan Cloak, yeah. Probably Krillic from the Midsummer original score. <laughs> yeah, and like I was saying at the top of the show, I just don't feel that enough uh, ritual sacrifices and, and dancing around <laughs> flames have been done because it's still damn cold here in Melbourne. I got my winter coat on. I know. I haven't put any of my winter things away. <laughs> yeah. It's it's not okay. At this if we were some kind of um mainstream talkback show at this point we'd cackle and go, Ha! That for global warming <laughs> in some simple minded childish <laughs> Luckily that is not us. Well yeah. <laughs> I mean global warming, yes of course. But simple minded and childish well, yeah, 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 actually maybe yeah. <laughs> As, as the corn goddess is my witness. <laughs> um, corn goddess. Corn goddess, yes. Um, I think we actually we will play a track from the Wicker Man soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, can you... Um, uh, because we're talking about the Wicker Man, I want to play um, a little bit um, uh, from the ID card that we've got. Uh, uh, Peter, Peter Woodward. Okay. Yeah, because... <laughs> Just a, we'll play that in a second after before the track as we go out from the Wicker Man. This is uh, music and songs by Paul Giovanni, performed by Magnet, and this is the original soundtrack album from the Wicker Man. And they they didn't bring this out until uh, 2018. So the Wicker Man film came out in 2000, uh, sorry, in 1973, and Silver Screen Records has produced this one to come out. And I always wanted this soundtrack, mm. but for years and years you can only get like bootlegs and stuff off the you know. Download, downloads and things and it's great to actually have a, a physical soundtrack of this and of course Edward Woodward is the guy who gets burned alive in the uh, the ritual folk horror movie uh. The Wicker Man and his son Peter Woodward we introdu- interviewed once nice. at some stage so that's about it for Zero G today Joe Bernadic coming out next with Astral Glamour thank you Megan thank you Rob G'day this is Rob Jan thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.